Welcome to the Maffeo Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Maffeo. In episode 41, I had the pleasure of chatting with Arturo Isola, co-founder of Amazoni Gin. An architect and designer by training, he entered the drinks industry co-creating the first Brazilian gin on his journey to craft the perfect Negroni. I hope you will enjoy this inspiring founder story. Hi, Arturo. How are you doing? Hi, Chris. I'm fine and you? Good, good, good. So I, I was just thinking that probably this is the recording of an episode with the biggest temperature difference, because here in Prague, it's minus three degrees. And tell us where you are and how warm it is and make us jealous. I'm in Sao Paulo. And today now must be 35 around. Yeah. On, on the verge of summertime. So it's in the two, two weeks. Two or three weeks will be full summer. So we are, we are warming up literally. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. So let's start. So it, it's a great pleasure to have you here, first of all. And it was great. We bumped into each other in uh, Park Convent in Berlin. And then we, we just started chatting and we finally managed to spend some time together and uh, got to know each other. And then we said, like, why don't we do an episode together? And, and here we are. So I'm very happy to host you on the, on the podcast. Yeah. No, I'm very happy. Thank you for, for having me. Thank you for giving me this audience. But I think it's important to say, yes, we bump into each other. And this is important because the stars knows everything. So it was not a coincidence, even if we didn't know. But for sure, the, the Italian common roots work out a lot on, on having this follow-up. At the end of the day, we should introduce ourselves as Italians. Absolutely, absolutely. The Italian connection is always working with all the, especially with people living abroad, I, I would say it, we always have this kind of like click, instant click that unites us, so to say. Let's start with some questions. So I know you are not from the industry originally. You entered the, the industry as an outsider, no? as many founders are. So how did you find yourself in navigating this complex ecosystem of the drinks industry? I'm proud to be an outsider. This is a, an important driver of whatever history we're going to debate today. I literally fell into this industry by accident out of personal necessity. Since 2017, since the launch of, of the brand, we are gin producer, spirit producer. We are a distillery owner because there were no gins in Brazil. There were no gin distillers in Brazil and, and as any good Italian, we love a good Negroni. And that's it. You can laugh. You can laugh, but it is the real story. Actually, it's all about Negroni. A so good one. that's, that's, that's how it all started. Yeah. 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 Personal necessity. And remember this main assumption of this whole conversation, because it will be recurrent on our conversation. Personal necessity, outsider, Italian architect moved to Brazil in 2008 and starting to fill the lack of the good gene for a good Negroni in 2015. What I've been doing in these seven years, I try to, to fit into the Brazilians' habits when it comes to drinks, when it comes to spirits, that strangely, but luckily for what happened afterwards, uh, were exclusively around Cachaça and Caipirinha. Your podcast, I'm sure that uh, all your audience knows very well about Cachaça and Caipirinha. Not to everyone know what's, what this is, but I mean, Cachaça is, is a sugar cane liquor, is a, is a cousin of rum. 
by the way, it's the same thing of rum. So in, in Brazil, it's called cachaça and outside Brazil, it's called rum agricole. And it's widely available in Brazil. It's the proud of, of, of Brazilians when it comes to spirit. And Caipirinha is the only drinks they manage somehow to, to invent around this, this, this spirit. Sugar, lime, and cachaça topped with, with a lot of ice. So basically a meal in terms of sugar and calories. So I was acting as a Brazilian, as a, any immigrant managed to do when, when start to be part of a new environment, you act like them, you, you exchange your habits, but you have the tendency to try to disguise yourself into a local, to be cool, to be part of the system. And, but I mean, at a certain point you get bored. It's one drink, one spirit, uh, as Italian and as the spirits and cocktail lovers, that was not enough. And so I start looking out for, for gin. There were no jeans, there were no Negroni, there were no gin tonics, there were anything. And, and so eventually I decided that I had to, to make mine, to make myself the gin. This is a, a real, real story. Wow. This is incredible because it, it, and it's very interesting for me because as an Italian, as you say, I am an Negroni fan, like, and I, I discovered, I must say that I, I, I wouldn't say that I discovered it because I knew it, but it wasn't my thing until I moved to Sweden and my friend Salvatore, another fellow Italian introduced me to it. But back then in Sweden, it was very expensive because you pay every single spirit by the unit. So. When we didn't have enough money, we would drink Americano because we would save on the, on the gin <laughs> soda in it. And it was a bit cheaper than a Negroni. And I remember at that time, even in, yeah. in Stockholm, that is a very, I mean, it's one of the best cities for, for cocktails, but I was struggling because people, when I, when I order an Americano, like they would make me an Americano coffee. <laughs> so I think that everybody today talks about Negroni, everybody play cool, like if they knew Negroni since ever, but actually it's a very recent pheno global phenomenon, no? like it was, it has been kept quite niche and built very well by Campari, by the way. Uh, yeah, but not for Italians. International, yes, yes. But when it comes to Italy, I, I remember, and, and probably this fact was the driver of what happened afterwards, uh, recently, I can clearly remember myself on the lap of my father and at four years old and licking his finger wet on the groni. I mean, after works, he used to come back home and before dinner, he had religiously his ritual around the Negroni. And I clearly remember having introduced today, probably this would be <laughs> classified as a crime uh, <laughs> because my age, but I mean. So I remember that, I mean, it's, it's part of our cultural heritage since, since many years. And, and I'm sure that my memory somehow managed to rescue back the, these facts from my childhood and was really important at the moment to take on this enterprise, to, to buy my steel on the internet. I remember five liters steel, electrical glass, $105. I can remember the bill. And then, and this was already with my other co-founder, a great friend and a Brazilian musician, artist and musician, a very eclectic guy, Alexandre, a very close friend of mine with whom I used to have this 
Saturday afternoon, uh, pretending that Brazil was a cocktail country, but in fact, we were my house or in his house with the right tools, with the right spirits uh, that we smuggled into the country in our luggages because they were not. We deemed that everything started because we constantly kept provocating one to each other. If you're traveling, please take some bottles back to Brazil. If you're traveling, make the same. We were putting money and, and to whoever was traveling and making the, the purchase list. I like this vermouth, I would like this bitter, I would like this gin, I would like this whiskey. Because Brazil has never been into cocktail. It's a, it's a very curious fact, but there was, there was an opportunity there, clearly. Wow. Wow, that's a very, that's a very interesting story. So I would say, I mean, like I'm, I'm usually asking this question. I, I always ask, does it start from the brand or from the liquid? So I'm, I'm assuming that it started from the liquid, but tell me if I'm right. Yeah. First of all, let me apologize with your audience, which it's probably used to a certain script of your, of your podcast, but <laughs> probably today we're going to rewrite the script because I mean, it's, I'm not an industry guy. I bumped into this industry by accident, as I said, till today I managed to manage the business in a different way. Getting back to your question was not about the liquid, was not about the brand. Literally, this was not meant to be a business. We generally start to do this liquid because what's not even supposed to be a brand was the liquid for us, was the liquid for our friends, for our Saturday and, uh, and Sunday afternoon spent at home uh, drinking well, pretending that we were bartenders, uh, the right bar spoon, the right jigger, the, the copper shaker. We really fenced this stuff and we had no place to go. And so this project turned into business after two years and we spent these two years, we didn't know that this would have turned into business. And these two years, we, we just played around making the perfect gin for us. Looking backwards, Chris, uh, I think that one of the learnings that I had from this journey, and uh, I generally believe that was one of the key points for the success of this project, is that uh, we didn't start the business. We didn't start with the investors. We didn't start uh, with a business plan. We've never had the business plan. We just were funding the project, the project. I mean, we bought steel for $105 was affordable for our savings. Some botanicals at the market, I mean, it was, was a hobby, a real hobby as people spend on golf clubs or tennis rackets. This project did start from our uh, pleasure to, to have our, our own gene and eventually Afterwards, our vermouth, our own bitter, to make the perfect Brazilian rooted and sourced Negroni. The, the hobby was around that. And we started with the gin. This is interesting because this is what it is about. Ultimately, I'm trying to, let's say, systematize what actually happens in real life. Now, whether you are from the industry or outside of the industry, I want to make it accessible to people to, to really understand how it was and how it is for founders mm. to, to find something. What I like about this is that it, I always talk about these things like, you know, target occasion or target cocktail. And it sounds that it was very much about that. You had a very clear plan based on the Negroni 
to actually make a Brazilian Negroni possible. And then you started with gin and then eventually you would have gone to the other two items of yeah. the, of the equation. You got the point. The trigger was Negroni, but then by the moment we started playing around the steel, we fell in love with the alchemy. And the alchemy is something that can be really sexy, can be really seducing phenomenon because you see this liquid boiling up and then being cooled down and turning liquid again. And when it comes to gin, it comes out of the steel, it's ready. You can drink it. So, I mean, it's, this is the perfect toy. It was this, I, I couldn't wait for the weekend to arrive because the infusion would have been ready and we had the possibility to mix the infusion to the steel and to play again. And all of this surrounded by friends, because you can imagine, I mean, it's, it's the kind of hobby that is very easy to have a big audience around. Because it's, well, what's, what's the problem for today? I can't come over, we, we're going to distill. What? I thought that we, we, we're going to play in cards, we're going to play in football, we're going to watch tennis final on Wimbledon. No, we're going to distill. That's amazing. That was insane. And when did it become a, a business idea? In these two years, we had a lot of fun, but the most we progressed and uh, we improved in the technique, we really got into that to, to see, okay, so the distillation is, is understood. Now let's manage to make the perfect recipe. And so along these two years, we had a lot of breakthrough, a lot of people, uh, spontaneous advisor, friends, friends of friends of friends, friends of friends of friends of friends. We already improved enough, but it was a lot around the steel and speed, the steel and speed, the steel and speed, because you can understand we, we were the Italian architect, the Brazilian musician. <laughs> I mean, it seems a joke. Italian architect and the Brazilian musician walk into the distillery. I mean, and you, and you expect that something dramatic is going to happen. And, uh, and we somehow managed to, to change the outcome of this story. At a certain point, we came across a, a brilliant guy. It's a very charismatic guy from the industry called Tato Giovannoni, a guru, a mentor. It's a lovely guy, it's an inspiring guy. And by coincidence, he had just moved to Rio from Buenos Aires because he just got married with a Brazilian girl and he wanted his kids to grow up close to the, to the seas. I mean, it's a typical uh, Tato decision, I think, inspired by the universe. And we bumped into his, his gin, Principe de los Apostoles. And I might say that that day, the Brazilians got really, really pissed off because well, you know that there's a certain fight between, uh, between Brazilian and Argentinian and Argentina is his gin and Brazil is not. They put more fuel into the fire so that instead of being there jealous or, or challenging the Argentine, I, I went after the Argentine. And I met Tato and I explained him our project that was not a business, that just was just for us. And they, he wanted to join us in this afternoon. And he had the first Argentinian gin. And he saw somehow him uh, involved in the first Brazilian gin. So, I, I, I mean, he deserved this, this, this reputation that he has. And it was uh, really, really important to uh, reach the last, the final touches, do you know, to the recipe. Right. And he, he has a gift and he had the skills to help us to, to find tools, this recipe. But by then we already were traveling around Brazil, seeking new ingredients, visiting 
different biodiversity of Brazil, sourcing ingredients different because we wanted the first Brazilian gin to be really, really Brazilian sourced. And so we get to the final recipe and the last proof of concept, because we liked, we liked a lot, Tato liked, he approved, we approved the whole thing. <laughs> The spontaneous advisor uh, liked was was I mean was the recipe and was respecting all the main assumption that we had to have Brazilians ingredients never used before representing the different biodiversity of Brazil Amazon rainforest really really displayed and represented big time into the recipe we we managed to to balance old world and new world we were happy we were happy the last proof of concept was to demonstrate to ourselves that a recipe in five liters electrical glass steel was as good as when distilled in a 500 professional copper steel. You know, you, you are Italian, you know, if, if you have someone over at home one night and you want to make a risotto for five peoples, you, you will do a great result. If one night you have 200 people over and you have to cook them a risotto, I'm not sure that the, you will get to the same no, performance. So definitely. this was my doubt. Uh, once again, Tato was, was really important because he had the connection uh, through uh, American friends, uh, project made in Brazil for the American market. I mean, it was something like that. And he knew a distillery close to Rio. And we knew that there, there was a steel, Cachaça steel. But for us, it was enough just to make a badge, a proof of concept, 700 bottles, 1,000 bottles, that's it. We will have bottles for family and friends, for many parties, for many gifts, for many, and that's all. I, I'll be back to my architectural, architecture bureau. Alexander will be back to his music. And so we, we drive to this place, to, to, two hours driving from Rio, an amazing place, colonial farm, perfectly kept, 300 years old but Palm Springs, lake, water everywhere, perfectly located, halfway between Rio and Sao Paulo, no off-road access, it was perfect. And everything was perfect until the point that we, we met the owner of the distillery, very nice guy, our age, and we asked him just to make batch. And he candidly replied, listen, I cannot distill because I don't know what gin is. But if you want, I have a lot of space here. Why don't you set up your own distillery? And we were shown to this, to this room that he, in his mind was the place that was perfect for our purposes. What purposes? We, we hadn't purposes of, of setting up a distillery, but it kind of poked us. And this place was, sorry, it's a room. The facade was beautiful, the, the six windows, big windows, blue framed, uh, it's colonial style, no roof, uh, totally messy, totally shit. But then again, I mean, okay, okay, thank you very much. This is not our purpose. But then coming back home, the thought were, we had a unique opportunity in, in a lifetime. We can be the first to do something in Brazil, not something strange, a spirit. And so that was the trigger, long story short, uh, we, we quit our job. Uh, we decided that this was an opportunity that to be taken and, and we start working around it. So that day, that day, this hobby turned into a business 
we decided that we had to, to create a distillery, a bottle, a label, a brand, and then eventually to, to launch the brand in Brazil. That was the day, wow. 2016. So let, let's fast forward to the moment in which you're actually, you know, commercializing the brand. So you have a unique opportunity because you have a unique selling proposition in real terms, because I mean, you are the only Brazilian gin, at least back then, no? How did you start? Like, did you yeah. approach, like we, you basically source from the friends and family and you, how, how did you branch out into bars, restaurants, which, which city you approached first? How did you think of doing the first plan or how to, to move in the first steps into the, into the trade? As you said, we had an advantage being the first Brazilian gin. But in fact, it was more, more a penalty because we were not just launching a new brand. We were launching a new category and we realized this very, very soon that we had to educate before selling whatever we have to educate the market. And so the strategy we defined also driven by, I remember one day we asked Tato, okay, we're going to launch the brand. So what you, you are a guy from the industry. You are on the other side of the counter. So you are a producer and you are a bartender. So what would you suggest uh, uh, the strategy we should follow? And uh, I remember he, he, his answers were really, really straight. You have to focus on three things, bartender, bartender, bartender. And so it, it showed us the way that we had to build this brand on trade. And it was really, really easy. I mean, this perfectly matched with our vision because we, we, we had no connection whatsoever. We had no skills whatsoever in sales management, whatever we, we, we were outside. We had to, to run this business by instinct and common sense. And so we set the strategy that was, uh, you have to be the first in your street and then in your neighborhoods and then in your city and then in your country and eventually in the world. And we triggered, we pulled the trigger of a personal network. Mouth to mouth, uh, uh, Tato managed to open the first important doors. Even if Tato left the project very soon, we start, uh, he had to left. So we had this, this mentorship that we, he gave us, but practically in the execution, he, he wasn't there. So we had to, to learn very fast, but when it comes to execution from the first bottle to where Amazon is now was totally improvisazione in Italiano. <laughs> we, we had to, to improvise. We, we didn't have the, the, the manual to run the business. We had to write down this manual every day. And the only thing that you can do is you have not background. So people, 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 and, uh, and that's it. And I think that this uh, starting the business as not a business was uh, a really important stuff still today is also to to don't have any pollution by previous experience, uh, to have also not having any pressure about investors. There's no money there. Okay. That was just our saving. We had to stop several times uh, because we ran out of money. We had, and then we eventually restart. Remember that the first business plan we, we made, there's a curious fact because at a certain point we were approached by this incubator. Very, very important uh, brand incubator in the world. We were selected as, as emergent brand in an emergent market. We were doing very well, but I mean, we were, we had uh, just one year of our business and we agreed 
to, to have this conversation. And the first things they wanted was a kind of balance sheet, business plan, some due diligence, financial due diligence. And I remember, I think I looked to, to each other for, oh shit, we don't have anything that they asking for. Real cowboys. I mean, it's back, looking backwards, we, we, we've been totally, totally crazy. It was a spreadsheet, two columns, Arturo Alexandri, and we were, we were just writing down, it was a shared file. So it could, uh, it could uh, fill this file and I could fill this file by my side with expenses. So today, the date, today Alexandri paid, uh, I don't know, the Juniper, so 3,000. And there's a, there was a bottom line in which was the ba final balance. So Arturo owns X thousand to Alexandri or, or the other way around. This is our, this is, was our control. And at that, at that time, the business had already got to a certain dimension. So the learning here is no pressure, no timeline, no investor to give whatever statistician, whatever report. So we were free to create, create the storytelling of a brand, create the marketing of the brand, create this narrative of this new category, working out Brazilians around what gene is. We had our own distillery. It was really important marketing tool to bring people over and show them how gin is made, I mean, what's a botanic or what juniper is. Juniper doesn't grow in Brazil, so Italy, new, new botanicals for them. And we, we were free, but on, on another hand, uh, we, we had serious problems of control of management. So it was a wake up call that, okay, you have cool brand, you are doing, you're being disruptive in uh, running a brand into the industry. You're doing pretty good because we were selling well, even if in a very limited geographical region that was Rio de Janeiro and Sao Paulo at the time. But man, the, the, the power is nothing without control. So, I mean, just slow down and put uh, the financial together and it was, was really well. But this just to bring in a story about how, how this was not a business. Even when it already was a business, we were running the show still as a hub. And this is really important. When you are committed with investors, when you are committed with deadline, when you are committed to business plan, you normally have to go down to some kind of compromise. But when, when you just want to make things because you really believe in excellence, you really believe in quality, and you know that we were the first in Brazil, but we were the last in the world to produce gin. So we were not, I mean, we were kind of disrupting in Brazil, but Amazonia was born since the beginning to be an international project, was meant since the beginning to be our opportunity to bring the Brazilian excellence abroad, to raise the awareness around how important it was to preserve the Amazon rainforest. We had this mission. Do you think that was crucial to the success of the Brazil? Absolutely. Like, you know, the fact that you didn't have any... Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to... I mean, the, the, yes, yes. Looking backwards, Chris, if we had a business plan, we would not have started the project. The project was not sustainable. We were seeking and the, I think the excellence and the, the, yeah. the, the disruption of the product we, we, we wanted to execute and we managed to execute was not sustainable at the moment, at that time, for that volumes. Because that's very important like, to specify because I think a lot of, 
a lot of time what is misleading is that the punk rock <laughs> or cowboy, it, it needs to be managed no? somehow, but at the same time, it, it's also not to be misunderstood with persistence and consistency and knowing where you want to go and go there, you know, no matter if it takes time, because you were not exactly. in a rush because you didn't have a exactly. quarterly review with a, with a brand owner because it was you, but at the same time, you were going to bars, you were, you know, talking to everyone, you were like going to the distillery every day and, you know, like you were committed to, to drive the project. If you want to be entrepreneur, if you, if you decide to dedicate your time, time is the most valuable assets we have. We all have the same. So the way we decide to use it, it's totally on us. And so when someone of us decided that this asset, he want to invest in being an entrepreneur, so he, to, to be a doer, to do, do something in an ideal world, this time should be invested to be the one and only. Do you know, I mean, this, that's my vision to, to make something different, even more. So in the ideal world, this is the demonstration really clear that, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you shouldn't look at the revenue. You shouldn't look at the bottom line. In the ideal world, the most you can be yourself, not contaminated, not polluted by, by external factor, the more probability you have that your project will be a successful one. We are very, 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 very demanding. When we are doing stuff for ourselves, mm -hmm. the level of the demand is the highest. So you have to satisfy yourself. And if you have external fears, you probably, you, you would decrease your level of satisfaction about the project because, uh, okay, I have to to save some, some monies on this item. I have to speed up the process because I have a deadline. My, my, my business plan is telling me that uh, I will run out of money. I mean, it's, I'm speaking as a, as a, as a dreamer, but uh, I think that, that in an ideal world, an entrepreneur should be a dreamer. And to be honest, like, I mean, it, because it, it sounds like a bottom up, you know, uh, build of the brand. That's the crucial thing because the moment that you, I, I'm, I'm always saying like, be careful what you wish for, no? Because sometimes, you know, you may get some good opportunities, like getting a listing in a supermarket chain or getting a listed into a, a, a big retailer or anything like that. And then, yes, it could be a good opportunity for growth, but then if you haven't built the, the fundamentals, if you don't build a building with solid fundaments, you know, then you cannot build it very high. It may stay up for a, for a few days, but then it starts to shake and eventually falls down. So that, that is the, that is a crucial aspect of taking the time in building the fundamentals, learning what works and what doesn't work, and then going yeah, to yeah, the next always, phase of, by the, step. of the project. Let's say, okay. Let's try to wrap up what I was saying in, I mean, one line to put in, uh, in this manual, I would use just the word, this consistency to walk the talk and in the, the ideal world an entrepreneur, whatever is his field, whatever is his segment, whatever is his mission, I generally believe will be successful if he walk the talk, if he does what he says, if at a certain point along the way, he has to change because the compromises because whatever external interference, this is a problem. And 
this is going to be a problem. The market is going to, is going to perceive, I mean, it's the honesty of the project will be affected and therefore, I mean, it's, it's integrity in ideal world, you have a vision and you decide to execute Absolutely. the vision, you, have, you, you couldn't, you couldn't change along the way. You couldn't change anything because something, something new happened. This is my vision. This is my ideal world. We know that's not possible. So remember, we, we had this conversation in, in Berlin where we were chatting and we were talking about changing and adapting to the market when needed, no? And then you said, you shouldn't adapt to the market. You know, you should be very strict with what you believe in, no? Can you, can you clarify that thing is when you were going to bars and selling a, a Brazilian gin, I mean, there was no gin category, as you said, you know, like there was no gin drinks. I mean, like everything was around, you know, cachaça and capirinha. How did you manage to really stick to that and, and be focused in convincing bartenders to, to eventually, you know? Yeah. I think that this question is on, board. on two parts. The first part is about being yourself and not to adapt yourself because the market is asking you to do. I think that this is primary. By the moment you start to, to adapt your vision because the market is asking you to change, I think that you should change your product. If you decide that you don't fit into the market, you should change your project. But I mean, you should change, you should throw away the, the project you, you were. But before to get to this conclusion, there will be always a niche in the market that wants to know a good story. And a good story is believable. The story is inspiring. And the story that someone that just didn't accept that the market was asking something and it, it changed the market. The old story about Henry Ford to have a powerful chariots with more horses, uh, it's instead of putting more horses, it invented the car. That this, that's the real story. So the market was asking for more horses and it, it had a vision of, of something mechanical and invented the car. So consistency, once again, uh, we are going to consistency. We were the first Brazilian gene. Brazilian, I don't know if you, if you know, and your audience knows, but uh, Brazilians likes a lot of important stuff because they had an access to important stuff for so long. I mean, it's the last part of the last century importation were, were, were forbidden in Brazil. So it was the American dream, but I mean, seeing stuff by the television, but they couldn't, they couldn't head. So standard gene, when it comes to our category. If it's imported, the better than a super premium gene if it's Brazilian. This is the equation. So once again, we had to educate the market. We had to convince Brazilian open that eventually we're hoping to, to accept a new product, a new category, that the Brazilian product could be good. And I mean, it was really tough. So people, I mean, consumer by consumer, this was a really intimate mission. We couldn't go massively. And so when Amazon was spread as its base of clients, and that was not just clients. There were, I mean, Praetorians to the brand. They had the time and the patience to hear our story, to see two random guys putting everything at stake because they decided that that mission 
had the potential to be a disruptive one. And there's a lot of people nowadays in the market that like this kind of story and they, they want it. The, the real luxury today is something new. It's not the formation that uh, we all add access because we use the same platform, we use the same channels. The, the king is the one that has the information that the others doesn't have. We had to look at these people to create that, of course, this couldn't be far away from here. So it was the strategy was to be, to go inside out in our inner circle and then, and then spreading, spreading out. I would do the same if I, if I had to start another business today, there's no doubt about it. And in this, mm. it's, it's just a parenthesis, digital is a, is a tool it, that it, we it, it's, didn't use it. Sorry. It was really personal and uh, you're younger than me, but I mean, I belong to the seventies. We grown up without technology, without digital. And I still believe that uh, the most powerful marketing and sales tool is the personal experience. What is very interesting and it's eye-opening for me is to, is that probably the fact that it was a crazy vision, what you went for, because, you know, you put your job aside and you dedicated yourself fully on it, it touches the heart of people, no? Because then it's like, I mean, like this, this guy is not crazy. I mean, like it, he must be onto something and let me join the ride of these people. Let's recognize what they're trying to do. And I, and I see it myself as, as well, when I do stuff on my own, I mean, like the podcast is an example of this and, and the recognition that I get from people is also almost like you have a podcast and how do you manage to do that? Yeah, because I do it, you know, <laughs> nowadays it's like 9 PM and my daughter is asleep and I'm, and I'm talking to you from Brazil because I commit to it and every week I deliver an episode to my listeners. You know, I don't do it as a game, like, okay, yeah. it's three episodes and then I'll do six more next summer. No. So I, I think what, what a lot of people get wrong in this business is that they think that they can no, do it as a part-time no. kind of like, it's no, going to be no, easy. No. It's going to be fun. I'll go to the bar once and, and I'll make it up. Then all of a sudden results. You have to go early. If you have a vision, if you decide that you want to use your most valuable assets, to use your time, to sacrifice your time to your family, to your, to your wife, to your son, to your friends, to your father, mother, father, you have to use, you have to use for a purpose. The purpose is not part-time. Purpose is a vision, is a dream. So, I mean, I think that we are not heroes. I am myself inspired every day by many stories around the world not necessarily in the, in the in spirit industry. I've been always looking for worldwide new stories, new project, because I mean, it's, I want to know, I, I, I want to know the cool factor. I want to know who's taking, who's doing something new, who's having new vision, who has new interpretation of something that already existed. This, this is applicable to products, services, experience, whatever. So it's not just about retail and brands, whatever can be offered by people that decided that want to do something different, that what's available in the market, it's not enough. It's old. It's not suitable anymore. And since you gave me this, this opportunity, and I think also that we are running out of time, but I wanted to tell you 
story, which is uh, really important to understand the, the Amazonian project, the whole project. And this is an Amazonian legend. So it's, uh, it's from the Tupi-Guarani cultures, the, the culture that rule the life into the forest. And this legend is about Naya, the young Indians that heard in her village that uh, if at a certain point had she been able to act the moon, she would have become a star. So she spent all, all her life in this naive dimension of trying to act the moon until a certain night on a full moon night, she was sitting on the shore of the lake and she saw the full moon reflected on the surface of the water. She decided to, to dive into the, to the, to the lake to finally act the moon and not knowing how to, how to swim, she drowned and she died. Just see the moon, the woman in, in the Tupi Guarani legend, watching all this scene, took her from the bottom of, of the lake and made her as a star, the, the, the most brighting star, bright star that is close to the moon nowadays. How this story, this happy ending story has to do with Amazony. I mean, it was inspiring to us, uh, not, no matter how possible, crazy, apparently unlikely is, is your vision. If you keep trying, if you, if you really want to happen, eventually you would become a star. And this is, was, and why still today in our labels of our Amazon range, there's a slogan, it's, it's the Zaguas Naceo Estrela, which means from the water a star is born. It's all about that. It's all about that, to take some risks. Wow, that's a, that's a beautiful way to end this, this episode. And uh, thank you so much, Arturo. Let us know how, how can we find you? How can people contact you? Can Website, Instagram, LinkedIn. And, uh, it's always Amazonijin, double Z, or 15 countries, Europe, USA, starting Asia now, Brazil, of course. And just let me make an and, and invite to you and to all your audience the possibility to come to Brazil to visit the distillery. is is in, in Rio de Janeiro. is uh, is is the, the most magical place you ever seen, and it's very very unique example of Brazilness. So the po the door are wide open to you and to your followers, audience, friends, and family. I will be happy to to have you guys uh, whenever you want uh, here fantastic i think many many will will take the the, the opportunity Please move out this <laughs> this this winter miserable winter now it will be a good chance brazil Car carnival is it's upcoming February. just saying yes i just saying thank you chris Grazie mille. So. thank you Grazie mille. thank you so much Arturo. thanks for thanks for being a guest ciao 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 grande abbraccio ciao ciao Grazie a te. Ciao. That's all for today. If you enjoyed it, please rate it, comment, and share it with friends. And come back next week for more insights about building brands from the bottom up.